Ryan, you said you'd start. We're back, back, back again. Back. Popcorn Gremlins 2.0. Or 3.0? What season is this? I think it's technically season three, but we've had a bit of a revamp. We've gone back to basics. Were we waiting for lockdown season three to steal your joke? Um... Oh yeah, my joke, that joke. It feels like it should... You love saying lockdown season Yeah, three. I do love saying lockdown. Well, I say lockdown season one when I refer to the first lockdown. Um, but yeah, no, we're back uh, with an all new look. Uh, for some of you Popcorn Kremlin fan, super fans, you'll realise it's actually very Don't close to our original look. Um, <laughs> but yeah, we're back with new content, uh, a fresh structure for the show, uh, more guests, special guests, Guest people. Less than special guests. Less than special guests. guests. Yeah, and we're going to be covering um, more TV land, more movies, more streaming platforms, all types of audiovisual content. So I'm excited to be here. Well done for getting through that sentence without saying the phrase movie adjacent. Or without adopting this weird lisp that I sometimes Podcast adopt. Lisp. Yeah, I sometimes <laughs> adopt. Which is weird. <laughs> Podcast lisping. Um, okay, well, that all sounds pretty exciting. The lisp heard around the world. Back by demand. Yeah. I wouldn't say popular demand. <laughs> Everybody at the same time are like, is it raining? <laughs> no, it's just Ryan. That, He's just recording a podcast episode. Related to that, faithful gremlins of ye olde times, um, please spread the word. We're back. We Our aim is for the end of this year, we need to be featured in... A double page spread in a Sunday supplement and the phrase sleeper hit needs to be used. That is your mission, Gremlins. Should you choose to accept it. Fair? Fair. Let's do this. Let's do this. So what are we kicking off with? Wait, what are we not kicking off with? Because we're going to save to the end because we're going to give away loads of spoilers. Succession. Succession. <laughs> it's back. Yeah. And just to say kick off one more time. Uh <laughs> Uh, the series or season four, the final season, kicked off uh, yesterday, uh, and it was it was a good season. Begin, we, beginner, beginner we, episode. We can say that much, can't we? Without yeah, yeah. Lots to talk about. Also, did you notice that's one of the? I think it's, feel like this hasn't happened since for like ten, fifteen years. Every single person knew what date and time it was starting. <laughs> Yeah, it was like Everyone the millennium. Like, so it's on, it's back on Sunday. Yeah, this kind of inevitable moment in pop culture that you just couldn't hide from. The millennium bug. I did time it. I completed reading Brian Cox's memoirs just in time for this one to kick off. Was it really sweary? It wasn't sweary, but it was quite grumpy. Yeah, he's quite grumpy. And also, because he's... I think he's in his mid to late 70s he's been around a while lots of his chapters ended with and it was great working with this person they died of x <laughs> the I, following year but what a shame just checking i think brian cox oh, i was about to say i think he's in his 80s no he's 76 oh, um i mean brian cox is a great character in that show uh, as logan roy but he will always for me be the original hannibal lecter of aka oh, manhunter yeah. Man Hunt, Man fame um, with, so this comes up in the book Hannibal Lecter with a different spelling because of some copyright issue so in that one it's spelled L-E-C-K-T-O-R did you know about this? no I didn't it's a whole thing it just adds to the kind of mystery um, the cachet around Manhunter and the fact that it's no longer talked about even though it's a piece of cinematic gold but I'm sure we'll get onto that 
uh, a later day. Although I feel like we might have covered Manhunter. <laughs> this is a fresh start, guys, so it doesn't really yeah, matter. Ignore, we can just ignore, ignore what happened in the past. everything that came before this episode. Talking of new things, I mm-hmm. believe in this new revamped show, this new format, we're going to kick off with news. News? Okay, yeah, let's kick off with news. Every episode, we're going to bring you new news. Do you want to do your new news or my new news? Mine isn't new news. Mine's about old news. Mine's a little bit old and a little bit new. So let's kick off with a little <laughs> bit of new news. Uh, Maestro, old. please play the clip. Welcome to our home. I just want you to know, if you need anything, don't be shy, okay? There are no rules in this house. I'm not like a regular mom. I'm a cool mom. (laughs) Right, Regina? Please stop talking. Okay. Yes, that's right. I'm sure 99% of you out there guessed it. That was a clip from the, I don't know, cultural landmark that is Mean Girls. Mean Girls. So, some Mean Girl news. What? some mean girl news. This has, Are you getting is, excited? This is genuinely fresh. They've just announced there will be a new three-part series of Mean Girls movies. Oh, I've, I've, my heart sank when you said series because I thought it was going to be a TV show. But three films. Three films. Are you I'm excited? I'm, I'm trepidation. I'm nervously excited. I need to know a little bit more. And I'm lying. Oh, <laughs> there is no, the news. The news is not. There is a, a new, a new series of Mean Girls in the works. So but this cool. is actually quite juicy. So you know, both of us have been around. Uh, we've worked with we've contracts and content and creators, and both been on film sets and understand all of the legal shenanigans that go around that. But I it would turns describe out, us as industry scenesters. It turns out there's one person who does not, and that's Rosalind Wiseman. She Remind was the me. writer of the... Sorry? Remind me. She You're is me. the writer of the original... Well, of the book, Queen Bees and Wannabes, that the film Mean Girls was based off. Yes. And back at some point in the noughties, she was approached by Tina Fey to uh-huh. buy rights for said books. Uh-huh. Said book. Now, this is something that's quite normal. And when you are approached, it hasn't happened to me yet. I'm expecting a letter in the post any day. But typically, when you are approached by a production company or an actor to buy the rights for a book, there is a certain amount of negotiation. Mm-hmm. Um, and you try to speculate as much as possible as to what the future might look like, what could be the future earnings. So... You could put in, into your agreement, uh, I would take 5% uh, of any future um, box office ret- uh, money. And I think in or, Hollywood they call them points. Yeah, and also, points. that's because 5% would be a pretty good deal. Most yeah. people are actually talking about points of 1%, yeah. aren't they? Nowadays, when you look at some agreements, you would say, okay, if this becomes a series on TV, I'll get a certain amount of points. Amount of points. If it, beca- if it then goes onto a streaming platform where it becomes syndicated in a completely different way, there's a certain, uh, another amount of points which would obviously generate more money. This did not happen with their original negotiation. Uh, I don't think anyone's at fault here. Uh, £400,000 or $400,000 was paid to Rosalind Wiseman. So she was paid mm-hmm. for the rights to the book. But clearly she didn't have a good entertainment lawyer. Uh, or publishing lawyer because they did not speculate as to what the future potential could be um, with this amazing book. And we if we went on to see the movie gross hundreds of million, millions of dollars at the box office. There have been 
little known offshoots and there was a brief TV series and there was actually a Mean Girls 2 that weren't as successful. Um, but we know that, you know, Tina Fey and Lindsay Lohan are always playing with each other and playing with us that there will be some iterations of the series in the future. So it's a franchise that's going to continue to earn money that Rosalind will not see. So she plans to take Tina Fey to court to try and work out how much she's owed in back 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 pay. I don't think it's going to be very successful. Uh, I think, if anything, it'll keep Mean Girls in the pop culture zeitgeist and keep us all wanting more. But I will stay close to this story and keep you abreast of the latest. But I think it's a good example of uh, regret. (laughs) And I'm sure there are a lot of people, along with the 90s nostalgia that's happening at the moment, there are a lot of people looking back at their contracts going in the world of streaming that we live in now. And uh, I should have negotiated a little bit more differently because uh, a film that may have peaked the box office 10 years ago is now suddenly becoming a number one on Netflix around the world and is taking on a different life. And all of these publishers are not seeing a penny of it. Uh, so, yeah, I'll keep you abreast of that one. I would imagine, though, the defence to that would be... I don't know what the budget for Mean Girls was, but 400000 sounds like quite a lot in any film budget. That's a, a kind of pitched at this comedy we're talking the noughties you know this that was a lot of money it was before they were massive massive names as well and also you get to say on every book or press release afterwards that you're the author of the book that inspired mean girls so it opens lots of doors i think i think one of the things that's probably burns the thing that stings is that i don't believe she's had any successful (laughs) <laughs> book since and to be fair i don't know if the queen bees and wannabes was a successful book yeah. when it was originally published so she's burnt through her four hundred thousand. i'm sure she's now uh every opportunity to go on a chat show and talk about it or to kind of leverage the show for to um gain further revenue i'm sure that's all died out so yeah she's just looking for a payday not angry with her can't blame her not mad at her but you know, I don't think she's got a very strong case. So, next on my news is... Wait, you have more news before I say my news. I have more news. Okay, because my news is a bit related as well. Okay, it go. might be a nice tie-in. So, you know, do you know, maybe you know, um, Netflix did a big deal with the Roald Dahl estate. Yes. So, and I feel a certain way about this. There's basically going to be, over the next few years... Lots and lots of remakes of classic Roald Dahl titles, which I would argue we don't need any more of. But clearly it's of value. And I think they need to be vetted. Wow. Like Stephen King books. So this Use is... Use of contemporary language. It's important. This is the thing. A lot of his books have been reissued and they've been heavily edited. And lots of the, shall we say, more hateful turns of phrase or more judgmental points of reference have been taken out in what people like to refer to as woke washing and it opens up it's driving whole, people mad isn't it? It, it it absolutely is but in the publishing world it's also become quite a thing because Roald Dahl himself looking further into this he's actually not as responsible for these stories as people think he is and well, there's no, lots it's the BFG of, he wrote them didn't he? well there's lots of accounts of actually his editor got hold of you know was sent loads of scraps of information there's basically publishing teams and editors who can take a lot more credit than they're owed at the moment for crafting the stories out of the bare bones of something he put together 
He was notoriously quite lazy. Um, didn't really like to work. <laughs> was really horrible to people. One publishing house dropped him. And when they did, the entire staff stood on their desks and clapped because they were so happy yeah. that this... It's a sign of a time, isn't it, where you away. could just get away with doing fuck all and just, you know, just bounce your way through life if you were from a certain background. I mean, it's not like his family were down the mines. You could just be grumpy with people and insist that they write a book based around your ideas. But also the content of a lot of what he writes is is really quite nasty when you boil it down. He's very kind of, he's very anti-old people, for instance. He thinks old people are useless and stupid and not capable I bet you all, of all of his house furniture was inherited exactly well no he married someone really rich his entire kind of well-being is to do with inheriting <laughs> his memory has been solid it's too late oh, but anyway dear. let's oh, go back dear. over it's to your easy, new news my favorite michelle yo movie it's called yes madame from 1982 i believe with another one of my uh, i've mentioned in the past that i Grew up a massive fan of martial arts movies, particularly those in the 80s. And Michelle Yeoh, along with Cynthia Rotherock, were two of the pioneering female martial arts actresses, even though Michelle Yeoh has a ballet background. This is a long way to link through to the Oscars, which I know, everybody, you're all rolling your eyes because this is 2008. I know the Oscars were some time ago. It doesn't mean I don't feel like I you know, I, I deserve to be seen. <laughs> My opinion deserves to be heard. Yeah, okay? it's, a, it's episode one, isn't it? So, yeah, <laughs> so the, it's going to be a really long episode if you don't wrap this up. So the Oscars, not going to talk about all the wins of the night, um, but I will just give my thoughts on this. So Michelle Yeoh, she should have won Oscar, an Oscar for Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon in my eyes. Very well-deserved win. Um, however, when we look at, Jamie Lee Curtis's win versus uh, Angela Bassett. So this is this has caused a lot of tension. A lot of people have gotten a point of view on this. Uh-huh. I'm a really big fan of Jamie Lee Curtis. I think as a um, voice of reason in Hollywood, I think she's amazing. She recognises she's a Nepo baby. Um, I love the fact she still calls movies pictures the pictures uh so i think yeah she's fantastic she's just 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 really chill i've got a lot of time for her um but angela bassett bought us what's love got to do got to no no ike ike no you know she bought us (laughs) tina turner i'm keeping the name yeah i think i saw uh, what's love got to do that before i had a real concept uh, of tina turner despite having seen her in um return of the thunderdome um, I, I don't think I had a perception of her stage presence. Obviously, I knew her music. Anyway, uh, Angela should have won for that. So for me, it's uh, it was a bit of a weird one. I also think it was a bit weird that everywhere, everything, all at once. I know Every, I said that wrong. I know I said that wrong. Everywhere, yeah. all at once. Won so many awards. I did think the movie was amazing. I did get a little bit um, tired towards the end, but visually it was fantastic. Kehui Kwan. Yeah, short round. Not quite sure why he managed to, or how he managed to win the Oscar, despite the fact this was his only role in a long time. And he was maybe, if you were to carve up the percentage of actors versus how much time, actor versus how much time they were represented in the film, he's like in the low 20s, you know. But it's great, it's it's great that um, he's been given a second shot. Oh, nice one. So I, my theory here is that 
Hollywood is so delighted that a film with a very diverse cast and all these great stories about representation is just a really good film that they're all patting themselves on the back and they're like, give them all the awards. This is amazing. And all of the pictures of um, of Short Round at all these events are like, look, look at the difference between the last time he was at these when he was a kid and now. But totally ignoring the fact that he quit acting because he felt there was no place for him in the establishment. Yeah, I mean, some of his stories are quite harrowing. I think it's a great example that of the Hollywood... Um, because we have to remember the Oscars, that the, the Academy is 55 actors, right? That It's not like it's members of the public. But I think the institution, much like the Golden Globes, have now started, started to pay attention to what's popular in uh, actual culture, you know, in, 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 in the minds of everyday people. Like, what's, what's hot there? What are people talking about? I think they want, they're trying to represent that. I also think it's... Um, a great opportunity to showcase the amazing talent of our brothers and sisters from Asia. Uh, I think that's really fantastic. Um, but I think, like you know, I said this many times, and I'll say it again: the Oscars, in my eyes, in the words of um, Chevy Chase, are millionaires giving each other a gold statue. <laughs> mic drop. Please don't drop this mic. Uh, okay, they so that's it. That's it for news for me. We are not millionaires, uh, but great. Not with this surely. You, you must love seeing this too—the continual ascendance of Michelle Yeoh, who's already great and has put all the work yeah. in and done. Just the the global stage she's getting at the moment. I think she's she's got three movies coming out this year. She's uh, um, she's just about to start filming Wicked. Yeah. So yeah, she has a lot of it's it's a long time coming. Um, she's such a classy, dignified, uh, great actress who could still kick the shit out of most people <laughs> in any given room. Dream guest for the podcast? Oh, yes, please. I'm putting that out into the universe. Would you even be able... Is that the one celebrity you'd encounter where you'd be speechless? No, we know. We all know who that will be. <laughs> Keep it a secret for now. Maybe in the final ever episode of Popcorn Gremlins, I'll tell you. Um, just a reminder that when I met Bollywood superstar Shahrukh Khan and he was He's not allowed to forget to me, about it. He was introduced to me. I said thanks. That's how well I handle myself in the presence of megawatt celebrities. All right, that's news. Shall we talk about some stuff we have seen? Yes. Like movies Let's and Let's do that. this. Yeah? Long list. I don't want to spend... It's quite dark. There's a lot of horror in there. So let's start with Skinnamarink. That's you're going to talk through that, aren't you? Or is that me? Super low budget. Canadian horror film that the director shot in his own childhood home. And You're going to say good it, things about this, aren't you? Well, <laughs> yeah, oh I'm going to find good things to say about it because go and get a cup of tea, guys <laughs> and I girls. Think, I think where it came from is really important. Cost about eighteen thousand US dollars or Canadian dollars. Anyway, mm, Kelsey Yeah, but to make a feature-length film for such a low amount that then gets global distribution is a remarkable thing, I think. Do we know it's global? Yeah. Okay. Finally, because what happened was it was doing the festival rounds, which is a good way to find distributors, and then somebody leaked it online. So great somebody, name. Somebody had an online screener link 
and they ripped it and leaked it online. I get the feeling there was kind of like a Blair Witchness to it in the terms, in the sense that people kind of finding it online and yeah. writing on blogs about it. This year's scariest movie. I think it's, it had a good organic PR campaign. Or was it organic? Well, so people loved it and the fans thought that whoever leaked it was doing the film a favour and all the rest of it. And the director was really annoyed. He was like, no, it was meant to win prizes at festivals. Then there was meant to be a bidding war then it was going to debut on all platforms and all the rest of it. Anyway, it's still done really well. It's getting really good reviews. You were not keen at all. I did enjoy it more than you because the way it's shot is very nightmarish. And maybe it's because it's connected, (laughs) this is going to sound very specific, to a childhood nightmare that I had, which is about waking up in my own house and when I try and turn the lights on, they don't work properly or they they start at a normal level and then they start to fade and no one else is in the house and there's no real way of getting out of it. That is essentially what this film is about and it's very grainy footage, very low lighting and the angles almost, I don't think you really see human actors in the kind of normal framing that you would in, in most movies. You just see angles of the house and lights coming off and on um and basically the house is kind of conspiring against these two kids whose parents have disappeared and it's really scary but you were not such a fan i didn't find it scary i think there are elements that are of um the entity the barbara hershey movie from the 80s which was very scary and the, the the part that i found if i was going to be scared that they took from the entity was that kind of um, deep, scary, gravelly man's voice that appears from nowhere. Like, mm. I'm going to get you. That kind of thing I find, you know, a little bit scary. Other than that, I've said this before, I don't like it in ki- in films where kids get hurt or killed unnecessarily. Spoiler, sorry. Um, and I found that it was very much... Um, made for the Instagram generation. Um, <clears throat> I don't think they shot on film. I think it was a film effect it's, filter. You're right. It's digital and they yeah. applied this really yeah, this heavy, snowy, noisy yeah. grain. Yeah, it was. Yeah. that was not nice. That was quite jarring to look at. Um, and then when I saw the trailer, I thought it, the entire film can't be shot like this. It can't be <laughs> yeah. an entire film that essentially just shows corridors and doorways <laughs> and like hallways upside down. Uh, in this really bad snowy film effect. And then actually that's the entire movie. So I think, would it work as a short? Yes. Did it start out as a short? Yes. Probably. Did, yes, did. exactly. Well so spotted. I think in that in that sense, it, it would be would have been good and it would have allowed, um, or it would have inspired other people to take that style and make something else. Um, but as a standalone movie, uh no, not for me. No. Sorry. I I don't think it's a spoiler necessarily what you said because it's it's not entirely what you said happens to the kids. But point taken, I'm with you. I just don't I don't think there's any reason for a movie to go there. Um but there's a little bit of um paranormal activity in there as well. You know, the yeah. later films where they go into the house and they can't get out. Yeah. Totally. I with something like that, I would always rather that someone had given it a go and had pushed the limits of of what we expect to see i think if i'd seen that in the cinema and there's no way out and it was dark and you couldn't look away from it i'd have had a slightly better experience and could have been more immersed in it 
I recommend you don't. Where can they find it? Where can people find it? Oh, I think that's the question. I iTunes think it's on, in UK. Or Apple, it's sorry, on. it's called Apple and okay. and uh, Amazon Prime. There we go. Yeah, but you have to pay for it though. It's not free yet. It's out there now. Yep. Uh, legally, which is good. Which is good. Um, directors already signed up to do loads of cool stuff. So it'll be interesting to see what the first fully funded feature looks like from that guy. Whose name? Get excited. I cannot remember. Okay. Shall we now talk about the whale? Who's Have I got this? Um, am, I, am I back to the whale of a time? Or is that you? <laughs> I think I was going to summarise it quickly and then you were going to talk oh, okay. about... But all I'll say is it's from Darren Aronofsky. Yes, said it in one go. Of Black Swan fame. And also, did he do that mother? Yes. Mother with a capital letter. Whoa. That was another film yeah. where a baby was See killed above. unnecessarily. Yeah. What so is we... this new baby killing porn going on? It's ridiculous. <clears throat> we don't like him for that. But we do like him for, for Black Swan. That was incredible. So it was always going to be interesting, interesting to see what he picked up next. To work with a play, a very well-received play, which is entirely set in one person's apartment, is an interesting departure mm-hmm. for him. And then to cast Brendan Fraser... As the central role, is it Fraser or Frazier? Frazier, <laughs> Brendan Fraser, as the the lead character, who's somebody who is so overweight he needs medical support and can't actually move around his apartment independently, uh, was another very interesting choice. Basically, it centres around him, his relationship with his ex-wife. <laughs> I was going to say it centres around gravity. <laughs> Bad joke. His, his uh, friend, who is also his ex's sister a visiting mormon who's trying to convert everyone uh it's basically people coming in and out of the apartment it feels very much like a play you they're, can tell straight it's, away yeah, yeah it's like they're on a stage pieces didn't you send me a text 10 minutes in saying is this based on a play yep and i was like yes the play i told you about that i read also you could have googled it instead of texting me there was lots of moments where people are you know leaving the set or leaving the apartment facing outward into the street but then continue to talk to him yeah very kind of playy what did you think is that is that all the some yeah. sum up you're gonna give you know uh, i think more will come out in your review i think it's hey it's always difficult for a movie that gets such high praise so far out to it being released i mean it was it took a while for it to be available in the UK. I think it was out in the States for maybe like five months or something before we could see it here. So there was enough time for this big groundswell of attention to um, come to fruition and for us to read articles and see interviews. And I feel like it had Oscar buzz and was uh, winning, I think it won the Screen Actors Award, um, which is the SAG Awards, isn't it? Uh, yes. I think it won a Golden Globe. After. I think, yeah, I think it. I think won loads of uh, awards before we could even see it. So, <clears throat> in my mind, it, it was had a lot to live up to, and there was a lot of pressure onto the film. Um, it was kind of like a bit of a um, an an arc for me. And I don't mean that as in like the stereotypical story arc. Noah's Ark. It starts whale. Off, uh, uh, that's just mean. Uh, it started off, you know, I was kind of like, oh, this is surprising. Um, and then it started to get kind of better. There were a few moments where... Um, so throughout the film, uh, you realise that 
there are moments and opportunities for him to get better because he has uh, really bad blood pressure, high blood pressure and a heart condition. And there are opportunities for him to get well and he chooses not to do that. Mm. And the first time he chooses not to do that, you kind of feel a bit sorry for him and um, because of his reasons. And then when he continuously ignores these points, you just become annoyed with him, which I guess maybe is what the director wanted. They want us not to feel sorry for him the whole way through the film. Um, but then and that's kind of as you're going up going up the arc and then there are moments where he's interacting with the amazing Samantha Norton Samantha Norton? Possibly Samantha Norton Um, uh, and you know they're having these like these like I don't know 15 minutes of continuous dialogue where they're talking about the daughter. That was fantastic. I would say she was leading in terms of bringing the energy to the scene. And then it started to, I don't know, wane a little bit when, I don't know, maybe it's just hard to watch so much self-pity or I felt like, are we, is his size now the main vehicle? You know, now we've gone through all this kind of emotional turmoil and I felt sorry for him and his choices. Am I just, is it his size that's become like the the gimmick? Is it, and, and that kind of made me feel a little bit, uh, that was a bit distasteful for me. And then when we get to the end, very end of the film, it became very playy. Yeah. And um, the way it ended was just, for me, just a little bit silly. So if I... If Oscars were chosen based off of trailers, and if we all made decisions about films based off of a three-minute clip... Yeah. The Whale would win an Oscar. The clips that I saw previously and the, in the trailers and in interviews and things like that, one where he says, um, if I've just done one right thing in my life, which, you know, which, that moment. I, yeah, but I hated that that was included in the trailer. Yeah, because yeah exactly. Yeah. That's it's like one of the main bits in the film. That, well, that's his moment. That's the culmination of everything. And Brendan Fraser is, he's reaching deep for that moment. Like, yeah. that's yeah. that's acting. And it was just kind of chucked in the trailer. Yeah. I was like, oh no. And it just go and it just kind of goes up from there. So, you know, should it have won an Oscar? Uh based on a few scenes, yes, maybe. As a film to watch, um yes, give it a go, watch it, but just, you know, I'm just managing your expectations. Um I haven't heard anyone say to me, That film was amazing. Have you seen the you whale? Must go Which and I think see is it. quite telling, yeah. Yeah. Wow, because you really harpooned that uh, that movie. Didn't Just call you? me Ahab. <laughs> I am probably mostly with you. It made me reappraise the play because when I read, when I heard that Darren Aronofsky was doing it and read the play, I was like, huh. And it didn't. But then there's always that thing of obviously you have to see it staged. You have to see what the stage, what a team of actors and a director does with it. But it made me now want to go and see it as a play um well good luck with that okay up next luther the fallen son luther go for it brian who's me who's this luther guy and what's he up to so um where did we end off with the la at the last well on in the last episode of the last series Oh, so he's from a series and this is a movie. Okay, so let's go all the way back. So (laughs) Luther is a fictional character um, portrayed by Idris Elba. Um, He is a British uh, detective, police detective, 
based in London. And for five series, I believe, three or five series, um, he spent most of his time uh, solving very elaborate crimes um, that took place across East London. Very and scary crimes. Very scary crimes. Things like there's a man hiding in a mask in your back seat and he's killing you to... Or under your bed. Under your bed. Or there are Ooh. kids trapped on a school bus with, you know, dangerous chemicals ready to pour in and kind of turn them all to mush. Um, fantastic series. Um, really was the first um, police crime-driven show in the UK that was... Um, uh, that had a black man at the centre of it that was driving the entire series. I mean, it was pretty groundbreaking. Hats off to the Beeb for that. Great actor in Idris. Um, and yeah, the series was just amazing. I mean, it could have just kept going and going. I suspect that Idris was um, wanting to spend more time on his music and making movies in Hollywood. So that series finished up. So we're about three years later and Netflix have picked up... <laughs> Netflix never want to miss an opportunity. Yeah, Netflix have picked up the property, i.e. Luther, and have decided to capitalise on all of the nostalgia and all of our kind of collective positive sentiment towards the film and have released this movie along with... Um, so the antagonist is the guy from who played Schmeagel or Gollum. I can never remember his name. Uh I always know his find name. Out, and now find, I've, yeah, find Andy Circus. Andy Circus, yeah. yeah. Andy Circus. Um, <laughs> sorry, Andy, if you're listening. Just a joke. I know he's a regular listener. Um, that's round. why we've got that kind of level of sense of humour. Um, <clears throat> so, yeah, Andy Circus plays the bad guy in it. Um, he calls you Ryan Fun. Yeah, the, so the movie kicks off with Luther doing his thang, um, catching criminals. And Andy Circus decides that he wants Luther out of the picture for him to carry on with all his bad ways. Luther ends up in prison. Luther escapes prison. Um, there are lots of big cinematic moments in London landmarks or at London landmarks like in Piccadilly Circus. And it's really funny. You can see there were lots of product placement and advertising uh, going on because you, the restaurants in the background, the shops were very prominent in the shop which I thought was quite interesting. Anyway, yeah, lots of running around London um, in old abandoned tube stations, which they're trying to pass off as tube stations that are open now. But if you've got the eye, you'll know that they are sets that are regularly <laughs> used in London. Anyway, the well, film... That's not how you get onto the Victoria yeah, line from exactly. Tottenham Court Road. That, 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 no way out <laughs> sign looked, that way out sign looked really old. Um, <clears throat> the film culminates in um, Idris... Uh, winning over Andy Circus, and um, he's he's then uh, I don't know we find out there's a shadow organisation or we see there's a shadowy organisation that wants to employ his services so it leaves um, the whole story open for another film which I'm sure is probably being franchised as we, as we speak I yeah. think it's a much deserved franchise for me the film went a little bit too big but I can see why um, you know what you can do with a series is have all of the storytelling, whereas in an hour and 60 minutes or whatever, it needs to be big bang stuff. So that's what it is. Don't expect all of the nuance of a Luther series. There's not time for that. Don't expect the kind of dialogue. Don't expect the same kind of character development and current interaction between uh, the characters. 
I'll say character again. <laughs> um, don't expect any of that, but uh, it's nice to see Idris on screen again. And it's kind of like it's 50% Luther, which for me is better than enough. no percent. Yeah, that's enough. Zero percent. I thought <clears throat> the first heart or the first act was like, like the best episodes of the series. And the killer was properly creepy and it was really, really sinister and it kept taking you further than you than your imagination could. Then I agree, the second half was a bit like, kind of like an ersatz Bond film, like a version of a Bourne movie. It left Going you with more Arctic, questions. I, I don't think, yeah. get. Also, a clapped out old Volvo was not going from West uh, East London, drive through the Norway ice sheets to get to yeah. a mansion at the bottom of a of a mountain. I mean, that just wasn't happening. So a lot, a lot especially of suspending. You'd have to disbelief. go through um, the congestion charge in Ulez in London. I mean, that'd be a nightmare. Yeah, yeah, you wouldn't get out. Costly, very so, costly. What else? What are you saying? Are you saying people should give it a watch? Absolutely. Good. Yeah, and you don't need to have seen the series. I don't think. No. But it's, it is standalone, but that would help. If you've got lots of time on your hands, go and watch from the beginning. Although, were you saying you started season one, episode one? Yeah, and it's it hard didn't to watch. hold up. Jump to series two or three. Mm. It, it just did. I mean, obviously, often when you look back at these iconic series, the first series is a bit clunky, and it was. It wasn't that great. Um, but then you do yeah, need, you need some of the characters from yeah. series one. So yeah, sorry. If you've never seen it, you've got a lot of homework to do. Uh, but it gets better. It gets better. It gets Next better. up is Swarm. Quite a new series on... I don't know where we're Amazon Prime. This. Amazon Prime. Made From the mind of... Donald Child, Glover. Childish Gambino. Donald Glover. Danny Glover is fatherly Gambino. That's how you remember it. Yeah, but they're not related. No. The Glover's not related. Am I talking through this one? Yeah. Okay, so I'll keep this brief because there is a lot that goes into this series. Um, essentially, this eight-part series or ten-part series uh, follows a... We're meant to believe this is in a universe where um, there is a Beyonce-like character. Yes, um, very closely modelled on yes, Beyonce. very closely modelled on Beyonce. And we start off with what is a mega fan she's part of the beehive um but they're called the swarm in this film hence the title swarm you can see the parallels there in real life beyonce beehive swarm tv series they're called the swarm um and the film starts off with us getting to witness the fact that she is a mega um fan of this musician and all of the things that she'll do to get tickets to her show all of the things that she'll do to people who say bad things about her favourite artist, all <laughs> of the things that she just won't put up with, that you know, it's it, it's it's all of it's the fandom it represented in the worst possible way. It actually goes a long way to show the toxicity that exists in any kind of really hyped up fan community that and it could be really damaging. And throughout the film we just follow her journey to um get to her favourite artist, this favourite, this kind of fictional Beyonce character. And on that journey, there is death, there's destruction, there's manipulation, there's uh, connecting with broken families, 
there is abuse there's junk food there is lots of junk food eating disorders um so i'm not a massive like nerd for the beehive or don't have a massive understanding or great understanding of that world i well, hope we need it's to not talk. like this we need to talk it is like this there were some great cameos though paris jackson billy eilish to, to name two um, who both performed really well and I think showed us a different side of their skills and it was particularly in Paris uh, particularly Paris Jackson um, I think it was great to see again another film led by a young person of colour she was fantastic she was really dynamic really diverse look forward to seeing her in other film roles or other TV roles um, it's one of those things that when something is so stylistic I mean, it's you, it's just so stylistic. I know I say this often that you know it looks like films that like they're made on Instagram, but this actually probably was. I mean, it's so stylistic. It was shot more as a music video, I think, um, through the lens of a music video versus uh, a traditional TV series, and um, that gets a bit tiresome after the first few episodes. I've, a lot of reviews online, people have said they stopped watching episode four and then came, yeah, went, they took a break and then they jumped back to the last jump to the last episode so it is quite full-on and it's very it's very um contrived but as i said i think it's great to see young people of color getting opportunity and getting their stories told will it define a genre no will people be talking about it in a month's time no will it mean that danny glover gets more financing to produce other content that showcases the experience of young people of colour in a section of American society. Yes, which is great. It put me in mind of, um, you know, that Tarantino movie, Death Proof. Yeah. Where it's all deliberately very kind of... With Kurt Russell. B-movie, exploitation style. Um, It's got that quality to it. It felt a lot like that to me. The one thing I didn't like about it was that episode that took itself out of yeah. the whole thing. And I think it was directed by his his brother. Shall I explain that? It? Yes, please. So please. there was one episode, all of the episodes um, leading up to this episode, which I think was the penultimate episode, um, were set in the world of the swarm. So the, the story, whilst there was time jumps, it was consistent, it was linear. Uh, in this penultimate episode, they... The episode was shot as if it was a documentary about the um, protagonist in the series. So it kind of felt a bit like a mockumentary, but it was meant to make us believe because throughout, at the beginning of each episode, it says this story is based off real events. So having that in your mind and then this kind of documentary style, it make, it's trying to make you believe that this story is actually real. Um and then the next episode it goes back into the original universe and it doesn't work because it's it's not completely serious and it doesn't um it doesn't play by the rules of those kind of true crime shows so as much as it tries to so yeah i think that was a bit of a weird one i can see what they were doing but um i would have if you're going to do that do it as the last episode or as a bonus episode um yeah nice idea like a a hidden one that you can in the middle can catch up on later (laughs) i love the way it was shot i think they were using lots of available light not as in not lighting scenes artificially yeah it was maybe shot on film or it looked like it was but set design uh costume hair and makeup all of the art departments 
I think they were just on fire. It looked really, really good. I mean, for reference, watch Lost River, watch Neon Demon, watch... Um, what did I was going to say? It follows, you know, it follows the look and the feel of those films. It's definitely <laughs> in, that, in that wheelhouse. Watch It Follows... I haven't finished my sentence. <laughs> uh, okay, so that is Swarm rounded up. Two more to go before we hit um, the Roy family who are back. So other things we've watched lately that have piqued our interest. Indonesian horror film called The Womb. Hot take on that, Ryan? Brilliant. Um, I love Indonesian, South Korean cinema. It's just... Yeah, it was just brilliant. And it's nice to see films shot in um, environments authentically, not staged, if that makes sense. How much did you love The Rich Couple's House? Yeah. Design House goals. goals. So good. And then also, I've been watching... By the way, late, you can watch that on Amazon Prime. A bit later, I've been watching The Romantics, which is a four-part documentary on Yashraj Film Studios in India. And it covers something like 70 years of Indian cinema all coming from this director family. It's really nostalgic, lots of archive clips and lots of quite good interviews with Bollywood stars. I recommend. Sweet. Shall we go to New York? Yeah. I think we can just keep this light. Light and splashy. Yeah, we're not really going to try to be one of those like podcasts that closely follows succession and that brings you a detailed character breakdown every week i have we we, we, we can't promise that um also <laughs> we're not we're not weekly guys we're not weekly anymore so uh we're not gonna be able to bring you that we're highly irregular but yeah highly irregular i need to see a doctor <laughs> um but as an opener uh, as i open the show by saying yeah great episode um it's brilliant to see that they, although it doesn't feel like it, they have picked up where the show left off. Totally. It feels like just by like a week or so they've picked it up. Although, Shiv's hair is different. She's pregnant. In real life. How does that yeah, affect her yeah. hair? <laughs> Do you know anything about pregnancy? Pregnancy will give women a beautiful, youthful glow. Will make your hair lovely. It's the glows, the first glows of pregnancy, and then you start to start to, the body starts to be heavily affected towards the end. But yeah, but they the could beginning style to, her hair. They've got. They've got people who could do that. <laughs> yeah, maybe. I know you're not allowed to use hair dye and stuff when you're pregnant. So, oh, interesting. Um, um, where was I? Yeah. So um, the show picks off, picks up. Uh, feels like a week after. Um, it's great to see that they coming straight out of the gate. They're not trying to manipulate us or um, take us down different like false entries, false, false, false alleyways. An example of that would be Shiv's marriage to Tom. Uh, that's <gasps> over. Wom's you know, gangs. He last, is yeah. In the last series, you know, we thought this might they might just be the couple that just is really kind of toxic and. You know, we'll, we'll be the dream team. I mean, they could be. This could all be a ruse, which would also be quite good as well. Instead, um, him and cousin Greg are now calling yeah. themselves the disgusting. Yes, Greg has twins. come out as a despicable misogynist pig. We all thought he was, Finally. but he's now fully living his true misogynistic life. Um, <laughs> Logan Roy continues to do his thing. Brilliant. 
Um, I haven't got much to say about the actual episode, really. I mean, it, not a lot happened. They just gave us a few markers, i.e. they're getting divorced. Um, the... Um, what's the family that we're going to buy last the, time? This is quite a lot happening. The Pierces, the Pierces get an offer from the three kids. Yeah. So they're kind of just like setting up, you know, a few different storylines. But, you know... I don't think there's a huge amount to say. Obviously, please jump over to any one of the Succession podcasts and hear me... Um... Told otherwise. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, but yeah, I think it was great. I'm looking forward to delving more into it, but it was a good start to the final season. Details I enjoyed were, you know his assistant. Actually, she outs yeah. herself. She goes like, I'm his... Assistant, friend, consultant? Consultant, best friend, Yeah. She is calling him Logues. Did you spot that? No. Oh, it's really cringy. But that's the kind of stuff they definitely decide as they're going through it. They're like, how can she be worse? This tiny thing. She can call him Logues. And the episode <laughs> wraps with Logan Roy setting up the fact that he's going to get involved with... Um, not, is it TNT? The news network. He's going to be heavily involved in that. Um, and we already knew that because we saw that in the trailers, but yeah, let's see. Oh, just also a bit of uh, Easter egg news. So check out the new poster for Succession uh, Season 4. You'll see that the position of the cast is different to the final season. And I want to hear your thoughts because it's been confirmed by the uh, cast that there are Easter eggs in there. Depending on where people are positioned in the picture depicts where they're going to end oh. up in the final season. So, that's so I think they're just playing the game because Jeremy Strong, I saw him in an interview yesterday saying, I've taken that character as far as I could possibly go. It's yeah. done. I think they're just playing them because I think that's their kind of job, isn't it? It's kind of, you know, drum up as much attention uh, around a project as possible. Because I also heard Brian Cox in an interview say he finds Jeremy Strong really frustrating because he's a method actor and he's like... Just stop acting. But then, but then in his book, he also comes for Johnny Depp, Quentin Tarantino, and there's a few other people. He's very dismissive. Of He's not of doing much actors. the angry Scott narrative, is he? He's not. And also right at the end of the book, it feels like someone's reminded him about his new wife. And there's this really awful half page where he's like, anyway, thanks for reading everything. I should mention um, my wife's been a huge support. And okay, bye. <laughs> yeah, it's but he wants literally to make sure that. He didn't get any trouble. And we're yeah. talking of angry. I'm furious. We've got to finish this episode. Oh, seething beside it's yourself. It's been. It's so good to be back. Uh, we can't wait. I can't wait to bring you more movie TV chat as the weeks progress with our new look and our new sound, new, new vibe. swag, new vibe, new vibe. New persona. New Jack Swing. Just wanted to say the plural. Yet of persona. to see that movie, have you? New Jack City. No, not New seen Jack it. City. We'll, seen we'll, Sin City. We'll... Seen City of God. Uh, City of Lost Children. Uh, what other city movies have I seen? Well, why we think about that? <laughs> let's uh, let's wrap this bad boy up, uh, and we will see you guys on the next episode of Popcorn. Gremlins. Boom. Bye.